Welcome to This Week in the 90s, brought to you by Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Yes, we're back uh, after a bit of a week's absence, and tonight we are talking power words from Alan Hansen, power shots from Tony Yaboa, and power struggles with Alan Shearer and Ridhula. All that and more to come on This Week in the 90s. Hello, this is Luis Amor Rodriguez, and you are listening to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast, okay? Now, where is Linda? Thank you very much for downloading and joining us once again on this nostalgic ride. Uh, the boys are back along with myself. We've time travelled back. We were in the uh, the summer of 1992 last time uh, we were we spoke. And to be honest, I'd rather I stayed there because given the start that QPR made to the current season, um, it's been bloody awful. I'm re- recording just after we've lost 3-0 to Bristol City. Uh, after the weekend, we'd considered 7 at West Brom. So yeah, Steve McLaren, brilliant. So yeah, I do wish it was 1992. But it's not. It's 2018. But let's look back on the 90s this week with my two comrades uh, somebody who's pretty much enjoying life in the championship in 2018 and with new horizons new football st- stuff on the horizon in the social media world mr joel young how you doing i'm all right yeah we're not actually top of the league though now because it's um leeds united with tonight's score but been perfectly happy and we managed to beat bristol city 2-0 at their place quite easily so i don't know what the bloody hell's going on with your lot well, they did look very good tonight, which is even more worrying that the fact they didn't look good. They were no. wearing that purple and green kit, which is awful. Even you can't say that. Well, good. I can because it's a '90s kit, isn't it? It's the kit they won uh, at Anfield in the, was it '92, I think, in the FA Cup. That's what they. Um, that's yeah. I was speaking to a Bristol City fan not that long ago, actually, about that exact kit, but that's where it harks back to. He didn't remember the match, which made me feel old. But yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, it's a, it's a great combination. And as we're talking about kits, the Leeds United home kit, uh, away kit that they played in tonight. Wow, that is a uh, absolute 90s shocker. I love it. Um, our other comrade, though, that's getting on the line. He's not enjoying 2018 uh, much either, given Jose Mourinho and all that nonsense. But normally he's writing about nostalgia for football whispers and for TIFO football, among many others, and the sportsman. Matthew Chris, do you wish it was 1992 still as well? No, because I still haven't got over the United blowing the league at the end of that season. So, uh, and I, I genuinely haven't. There was a thing on a few, was it last year, a year or two ago, about the, the, the last season of the, the first division. And um, I, re- I almost couldn't watch it. It still upsets me, the whole knowing what's going to happen at the end. Um, so, no, I'll take this implosion any day over that because that hurt me more than anything. Is there a thing to be said that it upsets you more when you're younger? Because yeah. when we got relegated in 96, 90, uh, yeah, 96, 97, the three points and all that. I still get heartbroken about that. But when we got relegated the last time, I was just like, well, we weren't good enough. Yeah, well, I think there's, I think football generally affects you more when you're younger. You remember more. I mean, I'm sure it's the case for you, but I could watch, I could look at a still picture of a United game from the 80s and 90s and I could tell you exactly yeah. who it was against and the score and, and all that kind of stuff. I couldn't do that now from anything after about... I don't know, 99, 98, something like that. And I think just the whole thing just changes. I mean, it should do. I think it would be a bit sad if it didn't. But certainly the case for me, I mean, that 92 implosion was just awful. I mean, it really was tears and tantrums and everything. I mean, not even anywhere close to 2012 Aguero moment. The the only thing that really bothered me about that was I was at a wedding that day and it would have just made the wedding even more of a booze up than it already was but but um 
Does it work on the on the flip side of thing, Joel? Like, if you do so, if like the celebration was, do you care more on that way? Do you celebrate more now than you did when you went up in the in the mid nineties? The uh, I think remember enjoying it more when we went up the first time under Robson. We all went down to Weston Park and started dancing around yeah. outside. And, I, and and there's a school next door where there's a school is still there actually, Sacred Heart School. There you go. And we climbed over Sacred Heart School Wall and then that backed on to Ayrson Park. So we managed to get into Ayrson Park on the night we got promoted. I think Bolton and Drew at Stoke won all and that meant that we went up. And that was the year only one team went up. And I remember celebrating that immensely. The last time we went up under Karanka, it meant a lot, but it meant a lot for different reasons, I think. I think because it had been so long since we'd been there and also because we'd lost Alistair Brownlee in the uh, oh, yeah. middle of the season and that was it, 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 it meant a lot more because Alistair had died so it, it's a different thing but I certainly remember enjoying those promotions more and especially the the time we the second time we went up under Robson that was fantastic as well so uh, maybe I don't know these things matter more when when you get old and grey and other things come and invade your life like flies in your house I know I know first word problems you know. But the fact that we're doing this show and, and, and we, we're so passionate about it and we, you know, we do it a lot and everyone hopefully enjoys it says a lot about that, doesn't it? The fact that we probably, we'd probably struggle to do a podcast about last week. You know, I couldn't tell you what happened last weekend apart from Borough 1. Yeah, I didn't yeah. even know the QPR had got beaten 7-0 until I just happened to see a little line about it and then because otherwise I'd have been mocking you a lot earlier than I was <laughs> it was 7 it was seven one. so that goes to show how little you know, equalised when, when Joel Lynch equalised I was like oh god this is this could be a turn up for the books and it was just not in the way that I I'd hoped it would be um, <laughs> this is quite an interesting point and I was just going to ask you Matthew on this finally Like, so if you won the league now with Jose Mourinho the first time after Fergie would that feel different than it did in 93 maybe oh God, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it wouldn't. The only reason I would really get excited about it is because it would give me a reason to wind up my mates here to support Liverpool. It was just more. I just think that when you get to a certain age, it becomes more a little bit more sort of not tribal, but it's it's not as personal for me. I mean, when when United would get beaten in the eighties, I remember getting knocked out of the quarter final of the cup by Forest in eighty. Nine and being devastated for a week. You know, dear, I didn't want to go into school. Um, and then, and the '92 title running. Like I say, there's still like songs and stuff that come on where I still think, "Oh God, yeah, I remember that. I remember when United lost at West Ham and Kenny Brown scored, and it, and it just, I was just devastated." So, I don't think anything can really. Um, ask me at the end of the season when Liverpool won the league and see if, <laughs> oh, I, see if. Uh, See if it affects me, but even that's more personal. That's more yeah, just like, can't, yeah. be, can't be bothered with loads of people running around outside my mm. my house celebrating. But in terms of feeling, definitely, definitely for me, um, when you're younger, up until yeah. about uh, up until about I don't know, eighteen, I suppose. When drinking girls get involved, drinking girls get yeah. involved. Yeah, they ruin everything. Hence, <laughs> hence, the, hence the reason that I can never remember anything on this show after 1990. Well, when was I 18? 84. So yeah, I remember not wanting to go into school when uh, QPR they got knocked out of the FA Cup third round, which is now an annual occasion. But then we actually won a cup game or two. We we lost to Stockport though, who I think were in Division Two at the time, and I didn't want to go to school because I was just devastated that we'd been lost to a to a lower league team at the time. Cool. But do you remember that? Do you remember that feeling like when you'd get beaten and just you'd go to bed that night? And you're yeah. just miserable. I mean, I mean, when um, 
United lost at Upton Park that night because they'd lost to Forest on the Easter Monday and then two days later they had West Ham away and if United had won it they could have still won the league was still in their hands and got beaten and I was I was in tears for about five hours I was absolutely sobbing and I'm not ashamed to admit that but it really really upset me um, and I don't think uh, certain things after that probably didn't make it you know even people say oh but ever since then you won the treble and what have you but it still didn't take that away so it I think it's a lot to do with your time of life as well, and yeah, whether you're at school and, and you know, the sort of friends you've got around you and all that, all that kind of stuff. It's a bit deep, but that's, oh, that's, I, I'm, yeah. I'm with you. I used to ruin my weekend. I always remember if you know when I was a season ticket holder, if we'd lost that day, if I was out that night, I couldn't really get into it. You couldn't really kind of. I was you know until at least the Monday, I was in a right old funk. Um, but now yeah. you lose seven one at a weekend, you kind of laughed it off and gone. Well, it's going to be a long season. Let's just move on. So, yeah. I'll have to get Kendy Brown on the podcast. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, give him my regards. <laughs> I think he's on Twitter well, actually. So, well, really he, if you remember that, if you remember that goal, I don't know whether you do, but yeah, Pal- Pallister sort of cleared it. And it uh, Kenny Brown sort of pulled his foot out instinctively, and it just came straight back off his ankle and went straight into the far corner. And I think that's when everyone knew that it wasn't going to happen. Mm. Um, but yeah. yeah. Okay, well, well, we'll stick with Man United in a second. I was just going to mention to Joel that you know this, you're not top of the league now, but once you get Yannick Balassi and whoever else you're getting on loan, you'll be all right. Won't Looking you? like Balassi is going to go to Villa. Ooh, yeah, uh, I think. But uh, Bezic looks like he's coming back. So de- there's some decent loans out there for, for this. This window has made it very interesting because what's the loan window closes next? Because it's bank holiday. Yeah, yeah, after bank holiday. So, yeah, it will be an interesting... We're trying to sign Sebastian Basson, who hasn't played for, like, a year. It's the ex-Norwich and Newcastle defender. So, that's that's the pool we're playing in. But let's, let's go back to the 90s. And, and we're talking Man United. And that's we're going to kick off as well. We're probably the most famous quote of the 1990s. This is 19th of August, 1995. First day of that uh, Premier League season. It's a summer where Man United saw the departures of Paul Ince, Mark Hughes... Andre Kinchelskis and nobody to come in to replace them. They started off the season with some youngsters in their lineup and a defeat to Aston Villa. And then those famous words from Mr. Alan Hansen, you don't win anything with kids, which has now followed him for the rest of his career. Uh, Matthew, obviously I'm coming to you first. What are your memories of this day, that summer and the, the famous quotes from, from Mr. Hansen? Well, I remember the day because I remember it being blazing hot and drinking hooch. Hey. So that, there you go, that... That's the first reference of Hooch. Yeah, that's a bingo um, card. That's getting on our bingo yeah. card, isn't it, Hooch? Um, and yeah, uh, I mean, what I'll say is, I'm going to. You might be surprised to hear this, but I'm going to defend Anton away a bit because this is one of those quotes that's sort of, sort of been taken out of context. But then uh, looking back at it, it sort of hasn't. But you've got to remember that day, United didn't have Bruce, didn't have Cole, didn't have Giggs, didn't have David May, and Canton, I was still out from that suspension. So. They had a hell of a lot of players out, and I suppose if they had signed a few more players that summer, then it might not have been such a big deal. But that's why a lot of those, a lot of those players were um, were in the side that day, and probably for the best because obviously after they got battered in that game, I think they won seven straight games after that, going toe to toe with Newcastle. But but when I was looking back at this, Hanson obviously said you don't win anything with kids. But if you look at Premier League stats since since the start of the Premier League. Very few teams have actually won the league. With uh, I think United's average age that season was twenty six, and I think only one days one hundred twenty six years one hundred and thirty seven days. There you go. Yeah, and, a, and apparently, apparently in the Premier League era, which I hate because it it doesn't yeah it's all the same. But only the once has that been beaten, and that was Chelsea under Mourinho, which yeah. is surprising because apparently everyone says he doesn't. Um, 
doesn't like youth. But in terms of statistics, Hanson was kind of right. It doesn't really happen that often that teams win anything with, if you want to call them kids. I mean, there were six players under 23 playing for United that season, so at an average age of 26. But I'll counter that and contradict myself completely by saying, if you know anything about your United history, you'd know that in 1956 and 1957, United won the league back-to-back with a team that had an average age of 21 and 22 respectively. So I don't know whether I've stuck up for Hanson there, criticised him or agreed with him. But, um, you know, of course, it's come back to haunting, but it's it's not always true. I mean, I'd say... Um, United did win the league with an average age of 21, albeit in 1956. But in his defence, not many teams have, have gone and won the league well, with a team team of such youngsters. That team, as well, is such an anomaly. Of like that is the absolute magic happening. That's yeah. All all your brilliant generation of players coming through all at the same time, and these are like legendary superb players and you know as much as United and any team in the country would want to do that you can't particularly see that happening anywhere else. Well it was against the norm wasn't it because I was thinking about this today like in Hanson's era that that Liverpool team that dominated for so long in the 1780s certainly they weren't at all built on youth and I'm not blaming them for that but yeah they had a lot they would buy they would bring players through the squad you'd have young players you'd have people like Fair Club but you didn't have that sort of glut of young players did you you had in Hanson's day, you'd have Soonis and Thompson. And I think they always said at Liverpool that they always wanted to bring in two players every season that were better than the ones you were getting rid of. Yeah, it was a classic championship winning. That. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he says but, I mean, that is it... on the night. He goes on to say that if you watch the clip as well, the, the, the elongated clip of that night where he says that famous quote, he says the trick is to always buy when you're strong. So you need to buy players. The trick is to. Well, that's yeah. Shearer's, that's what he Shearer's goes on to say. That, yeah. Shearer said that about the Blackburn team, hasn't he? That they didn't do it. They didn't follow it up. So it is a massive anomaly. I, like I said, the only thing that flies in the face of it is that Busby Babes team. I mean, to win the league with an average age of 21 is is pretty incredible. And I can't think of a team in the seventies that had any that kind of amount of youth players. And I didn't really look at the the sixties, but I mean, I don't think the Revy's Leeds wouldn't have had that. You know, they were certain, certainly weren't that, that young. So, so he, he obviously was talking on his, his own experience, and um, it just so happened that he he was wrong. But but since then, like I say, he hasn't really um, been proved wrong again since. Mm. That team included Gary Neville, who was 20, Paul Scholes, 20, Ryan Giggs, 21, Phil Neville, 18, Nicky Butt, 20, and off the bench became David Beckham, who scored the goal, uh, United's consolation that day, and John O'Kane, who uh, isn't really made the grade, did he, amongst that lot, um, John O'Kane, I vaguely remember him, defender, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, for, for, for United but I mean Joe I mean I remember this happening on the day United were in that grey kit the infamous grey kit it, despite what we'd learned later that season did you think like I did oh we've we finally see the end of this Man United run um, I certainly thought they were in a bit of trouble yeah absolutely because it wasn't even you know it was just a, a, a an easy sort of Villa win really Villa sort of tended to beat United quite a lot and then always United would always beat them in the cup am I right in thinking that Matthew that's is that ringing bells with you um, I'm trying to think of any high profile sort of Villa defeats in the cup I don't know I don't know but well they'd obviously beaten United in that league cup final hadn't they yeah 94 yeah, yeah. 94 so yeah they well yeah and then they'd obviously had that 
close running with them in 92, 93. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say they're a bogey team, but they're certainly a team that could put up a fight. So, yeah, it wasn't a shock, as big a shock as it probably would be now, obviously, because they're in the division below. But, um, yeah, I know what you mean. I think it's, it's looked upon as a bit of a sort of, oh, it was such a big shock, but you could almost... Villa yeah. were right up there then, and, and it's kind of... yeah. Like, yeah, it, it's yeah. become quite the, but it has become a rod to hit Alan Hansen with, yeah. and I think there's other rods you can hit him with. I mean, they even had it in the 50th anniversary titles of Match of the Day. They even had it in that, you know. So that was. But I think I, I, I was reading talking about hitting him with a rod. Didn't isn't that how he got that big scar on his forehead? Didn't he get hit by a golf club or something? Golf club, yeah, yeah. yeah so there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I think I was reading about it and he was saying, look, you know, I might have been wrong, but in a way it did me a favour because everyone talks about it still. And it, it was sort of his, it was his sort of moment in the punditry spotlight. So I'm sure he doesn't get too fed up with it. Yeah, I'll tell you what annoys, me, what annoys me most about Alan Hansen is the fact that he got paid uh, more for one edition of Match of the Day than Vic and Bob got for writing a whole series of shooting stars. <laughs> well, that's not justice, is it? Let's be honest. Or we ka 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 ka. There's an, actually an article with Alan Hansen from I think when is this from that I've got here 2013 where he kind of explains it. There's nothing really sort of groundbreaking in the quotes, but he, you know he does say what all right, Matthew said. It kind of made him. It kind of made him memorable at the time, and he tries to defend it by saying I could have said it ten years later and it would have been relevant because it's a fact. But what happened with United was a one-off. I just said it at the wrong time, and he goes on to mention the fact that Cantona and Pallister and Bruce were not in, sort of prevalent in that defeat, and then of course Man United went on to to win the Premier League that season anyway so I mean infamous statement but I think it kept Hansen kind of in and and around the match of the day anyway before his retirement so um, yeah but he's gone down in football retirement in retirement in inverted commas there when you said when you said the most quoted quote or most memorable quote of the 90s how many others can you think of the first thing that came to me was Keegan Keegan, saying I'd love it yeah just trying trying to think if there are any others that you could uh, uh, I would say probably Cantona uh, with a sardine. Sardine, yes, true. Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, is he going to score, Kevin? Not trying to promote any other nineties-based podcast, um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's quite popular. Um, oh, yeah. even Barry Davis, you're ninety-six. Oh no, that remind that that just those two. I know it's not quite. You know, it's too, it's just a statement. But I remember the way he said it. Um, I'm sure there are others. Hit us up on Twitter. Memorable quotes of the 90s. Maybe we could do a show on that at AK90s. Um, but that's leave May United there and move on to... I'm quite looking forward to talking about this fella because we haven't really talked much about him. It's As we recall today, it's the 21st of August and this goal is from 1995. But I thought we'd talk about in general about somebody. A bit of a cult hero. He was only around in the Premier League for a couple of seasons. Less than I actually remembered when I did a, a bit of research on it. I'm talking about Mr Tony Yaboa. And the goal I'm talking about is a goal that always surprises me because it wasn't the goal that actually won goal of the season. That was the Wimbledon goal, which we'll talk about in a minute. But a goal that's always played on those Sky packages. It's it's always remembered. And I think there's been numerous accounts today across Twitter that have um, shown that goal, including our own, because we couldn't ignore it. And of course, um, Mr. Sid Lambert at proper football, he was first to the ball, as he always is. Um, it's Tony Yabo's goal, the, the Liverpool goal. It's an, it's an absolute belter of a goal. Um, Joe, coming to you first, what do you remember about this goal? And what, do you, what are your memories of Tony? Tony Yaboa. <laughs> Tony Yaboa is kind of almost like the forgotten, brilliant foreign import. Isn't yeah. It? You know, as you've just said there, because he did, what was the other cracking goal that he scored? I've got Wimbledon in my Yeah, Wimbledon. Right yeah, that? that's the one that actually yeah. won the goal of the season about six weeks later. Yeah, I'm sorry, I thought you were talking about um, 
I thought you were talking about Beckham and Wimbledon there for some reason. Sorry. Uh, the one that cracks in on the underside of the crossbar. Yeah, almost broke the bar at Stowers Park, oh, yeah. There's something very satisfying about things like that. You know, I, I, I probably mentioned this before, but Johan Cruyff said, uh, you know, if, if when he was playing at Ajax or Barcelona, you know, when they were winning four or five nil, sometimes he tried to hit the post on the bar just to wake the crowd up again. Yeah, it's, there's nothing, there's something very satisfying about hearing a ball come off because this goal, this Liverpool goal, that comes off the bar as well. There's something very satisfying about it, isn't there? Yeah, well, we said about the Darren Anderton goal. Oh, hit both posts. Which happened in the World Cup. Yes, it did. Who scored that goal? Who was that? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah. That's been all See, this is what we said. We can remember stuff from in, in a stupid England friendly against Sweden 22, 23 years ago. But I can't tell you something, a goal that hit both bloody posts in the World Cup just gone. But yeah, Tony, Tony Borg, I think that he came from Eintracht Frankfurt. It's a wonderful... Is that where he came from? Yeah, that's not a name we've said on this podcast before, I don't think. No, it's good though, isn't it? It's like, it's like Borussia Mönchengladbach. Oh, I love that. German, I love trying to spell German that. team's name that you just want to say. Eintracht means, um, and somebody's going to tell, tell me that I'm wrong on this, but I think Eintracht means United. Oh, okay. Good so German Frankfurt, Frankfurt okay. United, I might be wrong on that. But uh, yeah, just big, powerful, muscular, skillful, cool... Um, and certainly kind of the foreign import that he could have possibly been the one that sort of tipped the balance into getting somebody who was pretty much in their prime, really, which sort of wasn't happening, was it, before that? We were getting people sort of coming to the end of their careers and sort of, you know, coming to England because it would be nice and one last challenge. And, and Leeds were a pretty decent side then as well, you know, and especially with him leading the charge. Yeah, very, very, very good player. And yeah, wonderful Sounds crack bang. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, he joined from Eintracht Frankfurt in January, which I didn't realise he was a January signing as well in 1995 for 3.4 million to Ellen Road. In the in that sort of half season, scored 13 goals in the first 20 games. It was a great record for someone signing in January, in first time in the uh, Premier League as well. And then he kicked off the following season, 94-95, with this goal against Liverpool. Matthew, do you remember this goal? I do. Yeah, it was a Monday night, wasn't it? It was a Monday night. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a yeah. night game. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't have Sky at the time, so I must have seen it around somebody's house. We always used to descend on someone's... There were two or three lads that did have Sky, so we used to go around there. And um, we didn't we didn't Leeds give Liverpool a bit of a thumping in this game, right? I no, imagine, it's, I it was the one nil. It was the winning goal, 51st oh, minute. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that shows how little I know of it. But, but, um, no, but that's the goal. I, people why would you care about Leeds? Why would you care about Leeds and Liverpool, Matthew? Well, because they can't both lose, can they? No, no. I, well, this was in an era where everyone was still tipping Liverpool. You know, Liverpool still had quite a few of those sort of marquee players, didn't they? There was still that thing of them sort of living off the back of, you know, the sort of late 80s, early 90s. So every time a season started, everyone had an eye out for Liverpool, which obviously they have now. But do you remember that? when You know, they still had... Barnes kicking around. They Rush still had played in this game. Yeah. Rush, uh, Mark Wright was probably playing. I yeah, imagine. He was, um, yeah. I've got the team in front uh, of me if you want it. Well, I'm just thinking I could probably know. David James in goal. Yeah, David James in goal. Steve No, yeah. Bjorn, It was Steve Harkness. Oh God. <laughs> Phil Babb and Rob Jones. Uh, Matteo played in midfield. McManaman, Redknapp, Barnes, Collymore, Rush. Great, great see. I know a few Collymore. of them are a bit over the hill. Where was Paula? Yeah, uh, oh, on the bench. All oh, right, with yeah. Michael Thomas and Tony Denzel, as he was called, Warner. Ah. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to think of a, a it's probably a stupid question, but of a Tony Aboa goal other than the one against 
Wimbledon and then the one against Liverpool. No, no I assume he, he obviously scored a load, but I don't he remember he any scored, sort of... He's got 19 and 39 in that second season as well, I but don't I think... Yeah, I really recall anything. Sort there's of another, there's another goal um, he scored. I think it's like a chip or a lob. Um, I want to say against possibly West Ham or it might have been Villa because I think they were in claret and blue. I could be wrong, but Leeds are definitely wearing their um, navy and green striped away kit that they have that season. They're definitely wearing Is that the that. Th- Thistles Hotel one? Or yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, and that, that's another goal from that season. I think Sid actually may have tweeted that a few weeks or days ago. I remember seeing it on there and thinking, oh, I forgot about that goal. So, yeah, I mean, they weren't. I mean, I don't think all his goals were as special as this Liverpool one and, of course, the, the Wimbledon one that won um, goal of in a, the season. In, that in a way, that does him a bit of a disservice, though, doesn't it? Because he, he's got a great goal-scoring record there, almost one in three, and, and, yeah. and he's only really remembered for, for two crackers, which is obviously a good thing in itself, but um, he's not remembered for being the potent scorer that he actually was. Mm. He's got some great stats as well. I mean, not only like, obviously the goal record, but he was the first foreign player to score a top-flight hat-trick for Leeds. Um, he was the first um, and Eintracht Frankfurt, the first African to ca- uh, captain the club. He was also top scorer in the Bundesliga for uh, Eintracht in '93 and '94, which is no mean feat for a team that weren't as glamorous as the, the Bayern Munichs, the Dortmunds of that era as well. So it's it's the, he's also the first player to win goal of the month two months uh, consecutively until Gareth Bale did it about ten fifteen years later. So. He, there was a lot to him than just this goal and then the, the Wimbledon goal, which actually won goal of the season that year. Um, that is a brilliant goal. If you if you have never seen that, it's really hard to explain, but he kind of flicks it, chests it, and then volleys it, and as Joel said, absolutely spanks it, hits the bar, and, and, and then goes into the top corner. It's a, it's a fantastic goal, and there's a lovely kit they're wearing as well. Very of- satisfying. Yeah, it is very satisfying goal, and um, it's unfortunate his time came to. Uh, I think George Graham took over from Howard Wilkinson um, in 90, the sort of uh, back end of '97, and he only played six games under George Graham before leaving to go to back to Germany. I think he went to Stuttgart, no Hamburg. Sorry, he went to Hamburg after that. So it was a short-lived. It was two, two years. Tony about which is not even that and I think he's held in quite high esteem at Ellen Road as a bit of a culty hero for, for two seasons where they didn't really do anything but they scored these goals and um, yeah he's remembered very well and I must mention friend of the show Tony Dorigo who's part of the setup to that goal his ball was floated in he says punted on Twitter today but I'd say floated Tony um, it was headed down by Rodney Wallace which is quite a mean feat because he was a quite a small guy and then Yeboah spanked this ball for that a memorable goal at uh, Ellen Road as Liverpool uh, lost to Leeds United at the start of the Isn't season. Isn't it like, so weird there? Like you just said that George Graham, you know, we we all know when managers don't particularly, you know, they say he doesn't fancy him, he doesn't fancy this player. But you sort of look at somebody like your boy and just what sort of, you know, like we just said, big, strong, muscular, goal-scoring striker he is. And like, why wouldn't he be a George yeah. Graham player? That's so peculiar. It's, it's very bizarre. Why wasn't Roy Wegley a Jerry Francis player? It's uh, it's very odd. To, <laughs> these anomalies, and you don't know why. But yeah, George Graham fell out of him. And I want to say that Tony Yeboah kind of reminded me of a very, in a, not just because of the fact they were big, strong, and, and obviously of, say, of same ethnicity, but he reminded me of Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. And obviously you'd seen Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank quite close up, Joel. Is, do you think they, they're quite similar players? Yeah, I think that... I think that uh, Jimmy could be a bit more languid and, and laid back about his game, you know, whereas I think your ball is all about power and dynamism. But Jimmy on his day, you know, very, very, very good striker. 
Yeah, definitely. Not so much in the good manager, though, but that's no go back to QPR again. Um, one little uh, quirk here is that Yeboah now runs a sport agency called Anti Yeboah Sports Promotion. Good title. But also owns a chain of hotels in Ghana. So you can go and stay. Well, maybe wearing thistle on his shirt for those couple of seasons inspired him. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you can go and stay in a hotel owned by Tony Yeboah in, in Ghana because he played for Ghana 59 times, 29 goals. He's their third top scorer of all time. Uh, Do you go to Tony Yeboah's hotel? Do you get walloped at the bar? <laughs> no, very good, Joe. Very good, yes. Um, who was he behind in their top scorers? Um, somebody I've never heard of. Adobe Pele, not the Pele. And Asamara Gian, of who played for Sunderland, of course. Mr. Number 3. So, yeah, Tony, send us your Tony Burrow memories. Send us some goals on Twitter that we haven't seen from Tony Burrow that we don't remember that are outside Wimbledon and Liverpool goal. And that one I mentioned that I think's against a team in Claret. I could be wrong, though. But, yeah, Tony Yeboah gets a, the, the sort of glorified section he should have on Alive and Kick-In. Right, final subject of the night, and then we're going to the northeast, but we're not going to Borough, so this uh, Joel's not really going to have any favouritism over these two, because I think he hates them just as much as each other. Um, it's 26th of August, 1999. This is the big power struggle of, of the northeast. Newcastle, managed by Rud Hullet at the time, Trying to put his stamp of authority on the club, obviously, um, Newcastle still in this front where they were challenging in the mid-90s. They'd kind of fallen slightly by the wayside under Kenny Dalglish. Ruth Hullett had come in. Um, they hadn't won a game since the previous April going into this season and lost their first, I think it's four games of the season. Yep, Newcastle lost to Villa, Tottenham and Southampton and then drew with Wimbledon. So they were going into the Tyne derby, really needing the win. And for some reason, or, or he dropped... Alan Shearer, he dropped Duncan Ferguson. This was after all he'd already ostracised Rob Lee by taking away his squad number, and so another one of the uh, sort of well-respected guard, I wouldn't say old guard, but well-respected pros of the club and obviously one of the heroes on the tune. And yeah, this game is against Sunderland, it's in the pouring rain. Joel, take us back to North East, remember this power struggle at, at St James's Park. Yeah, it's uh, um, absolutely remarkable, just shows a level of naivety that you probably wouldn't have expected from Root Hullet being, you know, the well-travelled player that he was, the stuff that he was involved in. And to think that he was going to go into a power struggle against Alan Shearer, there was only ever going to be one winner and it was never going to be him, regardless of what happened. Even if, if they'd have won that game, it still wouldn't have stood up because the fans just would not have stood for it. And And I don't like to say this, but probably rightfully so. You know, why would you stand for the greatest striker in Premier League history not being ostracised out of his hometown club that he's loved so much it's absolutely wild I mean since Hullet has apologised to him and you say you know I was younger I was arrogant I'd come from uh, you know a Dutch culture and an Italian culture where you had to go in and stamp stamp your authority all over the club but um, you know it just it seems like just a struggle that no, he could never ever ever have won Mm. The, what the funny thing is, and I, this is something I completely forgot as well, um, he picked a young player up front called Paul Robinson, not from Neighbours, um, uh. one of his first starts for Newcastle, and I'd completely forgotten him. And I googled him um, like earlier this afternoon, and he's got one of those Marcus Bent type of careers, more clubs than uh, than Tiger Woods type. He's played for twenty two different teams since his 11 appearances for Newcastle between 1998 and 2000 a right nomad of football um, and it's just, it just goes to show that you know whatever start you had it, it doesn't always mean it's going to go on and, and do very well but he's played for the for likes of everything from sort of Blackpool Hartlepool York Whitley Bay then down to teams like Cornset and, and Jarrow Roofing and 
Newton, Highcliffe, and South Shields. That, that, that sounds Newton like a Joe pub crew, that does. Newton, a- Newton, Aycliffe, not Newton, Highcliffe. Crikey. Whoever they are, wherever they are. Apologies Newton to people. Newton, is a pit town in Durham. Oh, there you go, up that way. I think there are a lot of them are up that way. I can, not many. Oh, Hayes and Yedding, that's definitely not up that way. That's down my way by KPR, so... Yeah, he he didn't really. So that wasn't a wise choice from Woodhull. Um, I'm coming to you, Matthew. You uh, we had to sort of remind you of this situation in this game. And is it kind of are we shedding light on the situation now? Well, that's because uh, it, this is filed in the uh, category of I was too busy going out because I was over 18, so I was out <laughs> drinking and drinking and schmoozing. Um, but no, I think yeah, it was obviously not sort of an event that springs to mind. But when you put it into context, yeah, I do remember it and. Um, what I'd be interested to know is, and I should have looked this up, I don't know whether you did, but how quickly did he reinstate him? Well, he, he, got, he, he, resigned, the next he resigned the next day. And then, so Shearer would have come straight back in for the next, I assume yeah. Yeah. poor old Paul Robinson was, was out, well, what out happened, in his ear. So what happened was, they, they, did the, they played the game, um, Newcastle were winning, then... Kieran uh, Dyer's first goal for the club, yeah. Yes, then... Uh, Kieran Dyer, who when he played for Middlesbrough wouldn't have been more aptly named if he was called Kieran fucking useless. But there you go. Well, we had Kieran <laughs> fucking never there, so because. <laughs> um, and he, um, so Dyer came on, and then it was tanking down with rain, yeah. and I think Freddie Fletcher came down and was trying to get the referee to cancel the game because it was raining that hard because they wanted to win the match, and then all the Geordie fans are shouting. He brings on Ferguson. First, yeah, who, who's seething on the bench? Yeah, like, absolutely oh, well, there's a, seething. There's a story about that. Then they go, then they lose the game. I think Phillips gets the winner yeah. right yeah. at the end. And Hullard, astonishingly, goes to the press conference and blames Ferguson yeah. and Jira for them losing the game because he says they were winning when I put them on. It was like, oh my god. So then there's this famous story that she saw this press conference and just went, I'm going to go home, I'm going to deal with my daughters, take them to school in the morning, then I'm going to come in early and I'm going to absolutely, like, I'm just going to have it out with him. I've had enough. So he gets up early, takes his kids to school, come, comes in, and before he has a chance to knock on the door, he can hear Duncan Ferguson in the manager's office. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I bet Big Dunk wasn't as reasonable. <laughs> and then... Um, and then Hullock goes and writes his letter of resignation and and goes that day. And of course, then that leads to Bobby Robson coming in at Newcastle and within sort of two years to playing Champions League football yeah, again. It's, it's, it, it's an iconic moment in terms of, you know, the resurgence of Newcastle after that under, under Bobby Robson. There's a great quote that I found from um, Kieran Dyer. You can go on to that one. But uh, yeah, he said Duncan, they were talking about the, the, the day in training before and the subs get the certain bibs as the way Rid Hullet would pick his team. And he, he said, Duncan's got his first and I thought, ouch, that's it. And then Alan was given one. We we're all stunned. It was crazy, but it struck me how well Alan dealt with it. Not so much Duncan. <laughs> uh, and on his uh, resignation, Rude Hullet said, "I know there are still a lot of people who want me to stay, but there are a lot of people who don't who don't want me to stay and want me to go. But I think that at the moment it's come to resign because my private life has been invaded in a bad way, which I don't know." And um, what did Peter Reid say, Joe? Peter Reid said that Newcastle fans should uh, be thanking him and shaking his hand, really, because without him, they wouldn't have got Bobby Robson back. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say that it kind of fired them up in a, in a and Shearer as well, didn't it? So it gave him a almost like a mandate, really, didn't it? To sort of say, right, you know, you're coming back in, and, and especially under Robson. It kind of tells you who who ran the club there, and it, and it had to be somebody who 
Shearer was going to accept. You know, it was almost like he was the kingmaker of the club then. And of course, with Bobby Robson, who he, he did he work with him? You know, he wanted Dunwilly at England level, but he was certainly, uh, you know, he certainly had great respect for him. And at that point, I think, you know, Newcastle was his last job, I think, certainly in the Premier League. Um, and, um, you know, Shearer had, it was almost like, you know, the thumbs up and thumbs down of the, of the, uh, emperors in the Coliseum, you know, when Shearer had that power at the club, it had to be somebody who would respect Shearer and who Shearer would respect. And I don't know how healthy that is particularly, but I suppose if you've got Alan Shearer playing for you and he's banging in all the goals, then you don't particularly care. No, the, the team he picked that night, not only did it have this Paul Robertson, but there are names that I don't, I, I think Newcastle uh, fans maybe in struggle to recognise. Jamie McLenn was somebody who no. played in midfield. I've just Googled him and again, he's not so much in the Paul Robinson League of Nomads, but he's had a few clubs and sort of lower leagues, Blythe Spartans, Kidderminster, Bedling Terri- Terriers. They sound like a fun team. Um, Newcastle Blue Star, I don't know who they are, but what a great name, seen as the kit. And then a Croatian forward as well called uh, Silvio Marich. He's not somebody that I recall. Played 23 times for Newcastle, two goals. Um, then went on to play for Porto and Panathinaikos. But they're not names that I associate with uh, the greats of Newcastle Pass, although there was the likes of Speed and Solano and uh, Warren Barton that played that night. But it was, uh, as you say, a clash that, that Shearer won in the end. So it's a... Uh, I always remember that pouring rain. I always remember that on match of the day that it was absolutely sort of pelting down. You got Shearer one side, Gullit kind of in the foreground, Duncan the other on the bench, and it was. I just remember that image. And I think if you Google it now, that's the image you see uh, of this moment, which is why I think it's so kind of such a big moment of the late nineties. Obviously, Matthew, you were too busy getting it on, and uh, in more ways than one, with, with with your hooches. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I claim that. I, I do remember it now. Now you joke. Now it, it was just the fact that you said. Newcastle slash Sunderland meltdown or something, and I thought, what the hell? But then, <laughs> yeah, when you put a bit of meat on the bone, yeah, just my, my, about my, two two minutes as, before as, we started as recording, you were doing it. in ninety <laughs> 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 Yeah, well, you can keep you can keep uh, promoting that myth as well if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Some big names for Sunderland that night as well. Steve Bold was playing that night. So, Stefan Schwartz, he's somebody we haven't mentioned on here before. Great player for Arsenal, and maybe not so much for Sunderland. Of course, yeah, it was Quinn and Phillips up front, and they both scored. I remember Phillips' goal being quite a—it was like a volley from the from the edge of the of the D as well. I think that was a quite a, a fantastic finish. But um, we must get into the Newcastle Sunderland rivalry because we're going to do a rivalry series at some point here on Alive and Kicking, and we can talk a little bit of Joe as well. We'll throw some Burrow in there as well, so we will do do that at some point. Oh, um, we're always the forgotten men, aren't we? I didn't. Yeah, well, I was talking. Was I talking to the other? Oh, a Newcastle fan the other day. Matt Ketchell has been on the show. Works Match of the Day, the magazine, and he was he was calling you the little brothers of of Northeast. And I was like, I know. Yeah, uh, I think I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, it's kind of they all want to pat us on the head, and if we do kind of well, then and the and the only care about is when they're playing us. Yeah, that's absolutely true, and it's sort of true with Leeds as well. I suspect, although. Uh, Could you not say the same about QPR? Aren't the rivalries in West London very one-sided with QPR, from what I've heard? Well, yeah, I think it depends who you speak to. We'd say it about Brentford. I think Chelsea would say it about us. And then, I don't know, Fulham are a funny one because everybody just kind of likes Fulham, don't they? They're one of those. Everyone likes going to Craven Cottage. It's a lovely day out. They're kind of a nice set of fans. But, yeah, I don't. there's not a mass... There obviously is a rivalry between us and Fulham, but it's not as... I think we hate Chelsea. Chelsea don't care. Brentford hate us. We don't care. It's kind of that kind of thing that's that's going on. But I don't really hate them or any of them anymore. You know, as we were saying at the beginning of the show, it's kind of... We've reached an age where it's all just... Oh, just move on, don't you? And also, we're the worst team in West London at the moment, so I'm uh, 
I'm going to stay stum on that. Your, your rivals will be Hayes and Yedding in a yeah, few but, years. Yeah, we're getting, we'll be getting to that point, yeah, along with James, ex-Hayes and Red. No, what's his name? Paul Robinson. Yeah, not of neighbours, not of neighbours. Um, so, yeah, that wraps up um, this week's show. I mean, I know it's been we were away for a week. I apologise uh, to everyone. It was a bit of a busy week last week, but also wasn't too much to talk about other than opening days, and I think we've done a lot of that on here, both on the first ever episode, which me and Joel featured on, and bits and bobs we've done um, throughout the season. A um, couple of little nibs that, I did, that have happened this week as well I want well, I've got Matthew on the line Dwight York signed for Man United uh, in 1990 uh, was it 98 because of course 1999 season wasn't it um, this week what what were your memories of Dwight York I know it was that dark period again at the end of the 90s but do you remember in signing did you think it was a great sign at the time or turn out to be as good as it did I don't think it would have been as good I mean do you remember we spoke the other week about how if Shearer had come to United yes. in 96 Obviously, York probably wouldn't have come, and I think I'd have done a swap. I'd have easily had Shearer over York, but I, you can't knock him for what he did. He struck up a brilliant partnership with with Andy Cole. I mean, they scored some fantastic goals together, little um, sort of triangles they'd play on the outside of the box. and um, Yeah, I don't think you'd have any, many people having a bad word to say about him, to be honest. I think he, um, I think he did a pretty decent job. So, like I said, I couldn't remember the day he signed. It was hardly a, a Cantona day that he signed because it, I don't think it was a bit as big a, um, as big a deal to be honest plus I was probably out somewhere but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah um, not a bad word to say about him personally um, uh, do you know who, had, who did have a bad word to say about him at the time John Gregory who said he wanted to shoot him if I remember rightly uh, he yeah, said he wanted, yeah. did wasn't happy was he yeah, I, I can't remember what was that about. He was accusing him of being a bit stroppy or lazy. I or think something, it's because he said he wasn't going to go. I think he said he'd stay at Villa, and then he demanded a transfer, and then obviously he went and it was a record-breaking twelve point six million move to Man United. And I think he was so annoyed that he'd betrayed him, Fabian Delft style. I think if you want to bring it to the modern day, um, that he he said in a press conference that he wanted to get his gun out and shoot him. I don't think he'd get it's, away with that. It's and, funny though, isn't it? But, well, you wouldn't get away with it, no. But but then you didn't get, even though he did what he did, it, it still didn't have that sort of power, did it, that it would have now? I mean, if that was now, he would have gone, probably gone, not God. turned up for training, and then he would have gone AWOL. And, you know, back then it just seemed to be about straight down the line. It was just, right, I want to leave, and then you're going to leave. Um, with the exception of Pierre Van Hoydong, I suppose. That's the only one I can really remember breaking that mould. In, yeah. the, in the sort of mid-late 90s. But more often than not, it was more amicable, wasn't it? You didn't get this sort of squabble that you get now when a player wants to leave. Um, well, unless you ask John, Ger- John Gregory, he didn't tell you otherwise. Yeah, I found a, a great clip of uh, Dwight York signing from uh, Sky's News that we put on Twitter that's got a very young Gary Cottrell on it and a very sort of infancy Sky Sports. I thought you'd appreciate that sort of thing, Joel. You love a bit of TV nostalgia. Um, but yeah, so check that out on Twitter at AK90s. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say, it was Steve Stone's birthday in the week and everyone knows how much I've got my little sort of, you know, I love a bit of Steve Stone. He was one of those players in the 90s that randomly I used to love. I actually picked him in my team of the Premier League team of the century or whatever it was two decades ahead of Ronaldo once but um, yeah loved a bit of Steve Stone but um, another North East boy as well of course later play uh, on the coaching staff at Newcastle um, but that brings us to the end of today's show thank you very much for joining us as usual it just remains to me to say uh, where you can follow my fellow pals uh, Joe how was your what are you doing on the social network at the moment are you in you're out you're shaking it all about I have just I have just tweeted um, something for the first time in two weeks Laughing at uh, Pete Doherty has got his name oh, this on breakfast thing that I, yeah yeah he's got his picture on some he's got his name on some wall of fame for eating an enormous breakfast and it and it's like 
the second top story on bbc.co.uk and it just made me laugh so i did tweet that out but i'm still there joel baby herc i'm i'm, I'm sort of more instagramming just because there's no arguments about politics or football or anything on, on there. top of the pops on top of the pops. yeah i'm even being live tweeting top of the pops it's ridiculous I, sh- I assume you're still watching it mind still watching it yeah we're into 1986 now so it's all right uh, the year, the, my year that my wife was born. What a fantastic year! It's, you know, it's, I was, Billy, Ocean, it's Billy Ocean. If, uh, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. That is number I, one. I was watching Christmas Day, Top of the Pops, of nineteen ninety today. Would you believe? Just so happened to come. Oh, I was watching was... Cliff, Cliff Richards, Saviour's Day. No, no, no. Kim Appleby was on there, and uh, don't worry. Like, yeah, that was the first yeah. song that came on there. Um, it just came up on the on the sort of timeline of, of YouTube when I was doing some thorough research about um, <laughs> about that Newcastle Sunderland game. I and, have to uh, watch it now. Yeah, but it's it's on there. But it just made me think of you because we don't have our squabbles anymore about eighty five being better than eighty six. Yeah, we'll agree what, what to else was on nineteen nineties Christmas Day top of the pops? I don't. I didn't really watch it. I, I just remember Kim Appleby being on there because she she was the first one on the show, and I think I just flicked onto something else. But it just made me think of, um, yeah, just think of, of that era. Really, oh, he, lo- he loves be- it. He loves a bit of top of the pops. Um, we love a bit of you, Matthew. Where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, as usual at. Matthew J. Christ, and I'm not on Instagram either. So uh, get on, get on tough. Instagram. We're on Instagram now. For some, uh, yeah, yeah oh, AK, uh, of course you are. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, at yeah. AK90Pod, <laughs> follow us on Instagram. We're trying to be a bit different on there. So yeah, you won't always get what you get on the Twitter feed. So yeah, join if you're on Instagram, AK90Pod. That's where we are. Any sort of nostalgic articles from you, Matthew, that we can look forward to in the next few days? I'm doing one tomorrow or Thursday. Well, I've done it, but it's going to be on sports and tomorrow or Thursday about teams that have defended the. Premier League stroke first division. Oh, okay. um, there have been eleven. Right. There's all this. There's all this talk about um, whether City can you know, defend the league and everything. So I just looked at looked at who's done it most. Liverpool, uh, United have done it most. Seven defences. Yeah. Uh, well, generally, uh, overall seven defences. Liverpool five. Um, and then you get you get some interesting ones. You get Sheffield Wednesday. You get Huddersfield. You get Wolves. Portsmouth. And all that kind of thing. And then I'm doing another piece on, it's not really, it's not 90s, but um, the start of the 85-86 season, Reading broke the, or set the record for the most consecutive wins at the start of the season, 13 straight wins, um, which is still yet to be broken. So um, it's quite an interesting time for football, that 85-86 season, because you obviously had all the tragedies that happened uh, the previous season at Heysel and Bradford and, and St Andrews and then you had the, the TV blackout and a couple of years before that you had the potential merger between Reading and Oxford so it looks at that kind of thing that's a TIFO football so um, can, you do a bit, can you do a bit about Robin Friday Matthew because I always like reading yeah well I wanted to do a piece about Robin Friday but someone beat me to it so I'll have no, to find a, I'll have to find another avenue that hasn't done a piece about Robin yeah. Well, I, I could do. I want to do a piece about Robin Friday, but I just have to find someone else that hasn't done it because obviously they'll say oh, we've already done that. But on the co- um, on the cover of the Super Furry Animals hit, the man don't give a fuck. Which yeah. Tells you all you need have you have you read the book about him? Uh, yes, I've read plenty about him. Yeah, he's quite yeah. quite the life. Yeah, uh, I heard a story that he got sent off in one game, and there was a there was a pub opposite um, Reading Main Stand called the Spread Eagle, and he just he walked straight down the tunnel. Straight through the reception, straight out the, you know, the old front door of the, the stand, and straight into the spread eagle and sat and drank a pint. So I thought, yeah, that's that's my kind of guy. Obviously, well, obviously a bit sad because he died very young, didn't he? But um, yeah. what a life! 
Well, we went on a big tangent then, didn't we? Bet the Devil You Know was also on Christmas 1990 Top the Pops. I'm just looking at it. That's a tune. I'm trying to think what was number one when my wife was born, because it would have been last week, so it's probably bulliation then, if it was 1990. No, no, when's her birthday? August the 14th. Okay, well, I should know that, you know, and I can't think of it. Is it not? In, like, Europe, the final countdown. Oh, that'd be a great one. Let's Google it quickly. Number one, August... 19. Talk, talk, talk about keeping it 90s we're I know, going we're, 80s we're Robin we're Friday place here, we? we are going it's Christopher Lady in Red oh awful awful bad luck, <laughs> bad luck. <laughs> I think mine's mine's the when I was born in June the 4th 83 it was police um take, yeah. yeah the rest you take yeah so oh. there you go do you know what mine was go on ABBA Dancing Queen <sighs> ouch <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think that's a, a Great song. No, I'm yeah. not. Abba are one of my pet hates, I'm afraid. Yeah. Elton John and Kiki D don't go breaking. Don't go breaking my heart. Mm. Yeah, that, that was quite a big, big quite yeah. names on this this compilation album we've suddenly decided to release. Yeah, we'll do a playlist. <laughs> get it done on Spotify. We'll do it. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, but yeah. We're from we'll keep it nineties from that other outside of those because uh, we've gone on a right eighties tangent there. Um, so I've done, actually, I've got a good nineties playlist on Twitter uh, on Spotify. So I'll send it to you, and you can send it out all the. Uh, it's got like Dario G and all sorts oh, of things. classic. Good. Bit of Britpop? Yeah. Yeah, that's well. I, yeah, this is my opportunity to give a bit of a mention to my friends at the Football Pink because do you remember they did um, a 90s uh, magazine edition a year or so ago? Yeah, I've got it on my they, shelf. And they did a brilliant um, playlist that went with it where you know, it had every, every article, every, each article had a, uh, the title was a song title. So. Uh, yeah, doing, I don't know if it's still out there. But... I don't know how much I can say of this because I won't. So I won't say too much. But I know they're doing a certain nineties, uh, some audio thing they may be doing in the future that I've been speaking to the football pink about. So since we know more of that and I can say more, we'll uh, we'll let you know because it's right on our field. Um, but we're going to leave it there because we're going on so many tangents. You'll probably stop listening by now. Um, I've been Ash Rose. Uh, follow the show on Twitter at AK Nineties and on Instagram, as I said, at AK Nineties Pod. Follow myself if you want at Ash Rose UK and of course the boys. Until next time, I've been Ash Rose. This has been Alive and Kicking. Keep it Nineties. 